strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. A big thank you to Assistant Chief uh, Brian Chapman from the Phoenix Police Department. Uh, one of the big conversations is happening. Panic buttons, classroom locks, how schools have boosted security. There are also questions now after what we heard about in Virginia with the tragedy of this six-year-old shooting a teacher. They're employing uh, metal detectors in elementary schools, but schools are asking the questions across the country. Are they prepared enough for school shootings? Now, a frequent guest on the show has been my friend Steve Hooper. He is a professor at Embry-Riddle's Global School of Security and Intelligence. He also has a company along with his wife called Tripwire, and what they do is they consult uh, corporations and school districts on school security. So he joins us now. Steve, welcome back. Thanks, Mike. Good to talk to you. Um, I don't know if you've seen some of these national stories, but let's stick to Arizona. From what you've seen and with some of the school districts you've advised, are you seeing school districts employ some of the good things that are necessary to make schools safer? Yeah, our customers, our clients do. And, uh, um, you know, our natural reaction in something like this and and a a six-year-old shooting a a teacher is certainly a one-off, not unlike down in uh, Arkansas when uh, a fourth and fifth grader brought guns to school and uh, shot fellow classmates. Uh, Grade school level is uh, unusual. But um, our natural response generally across the board, even at the, frankly, at the federal government level sometimes is to uh, harden the targets. And uh, which is, I'm not saying is not a good thing, but it can't be the only thing. And and that's part of the problem is they, uh, how much did, uh, uh, I mean, it's a tragedy that the six-year-old did this and that the teacher was shot, but uh, how much of the budget now goes towards magnetometers the maintenance of magnetometers, training people to use the magnetometers, that all that money could have been going to what we always talk about, bettering the education for the students and paying the teachers and so forth. But now we go to this hardening of a target by putting up magnetometers. And it's, it's, it's time people take a different approach. There, there's going to be no question that this six-year-old had signs. There were indicators. Now at six, they're probably a first or second grader, so maybe the school didn't know them long enough. But if someone owns that problem, if if he was, if there were any indicators that this kid had some issues, uh, did anybody at the school own that problem? When you look at, uh, when you talk about your clients, what are some of the things, if you're a parent that has a child in school, what are some of the things that the parents should be asking or should be looking for in the schools their child attends that would lead you to believe that they have a better security plan than maybe others? Well, for one, they at the beginning of each uh, semester, at least the beginning of the school year, um, we go to our clients and meet with the parents to assure them that there are proactive steps being uh, being taken. But we also emphasize their role. So my world, you know, my background, and, uh, and so I'm deep in the intelligence uh, community understanding, and intelligence is key, and the best intelligence collectors out there are the parents. The parents know what's going on 
not only just with their kid primarily, but they they're in the car bringing them to baseball practice, bringing them bring them to hockey practice. They're listening to conversations between the students or among the students, and maybe not six six year old and seven year old, but certainly ten, eleven, twelve year olds. They're hearing the conversations in the back seat, and so they're intelligence collectors. Collectors. They need to pay attention. They're going to know. They're going to hopefully be monitoring their kids' social media. They're going to see indicators. Then on the school side, someone needs to own that information. So when a parent calls and says, my kid's buddy on Facebook's been saying some pretty crazy thing, the school needs to then follow up on that and take action. And we, we have a whole process we put them through called IDENT. They identify, document, um, uh, engage, uh, notify and then take action. And so we, we train people on this process and it's a proactive approach that they're reaching out and, and the schools we work with have told us that this has been beneficial. Now, can we turn around and say they've prevented a violent act on their campus? It's hard to prove a negative, but at the same time, uh, that gives them peace of mind and it gives the parents peace of mind that the school is on top of safety every day because someone owns the threat. Yeah, and, and, and the idea of maybe intervening when when a situation is brewing you're right you can't say that you've you've cut off a, a bad outcome but that early intervention or intervention before something bad happens can only benefit a child if it's done properly right exactly it's it's going to benefit the child it, it, people have to understand that when there's a problem at home and again to go to this six-year-old or, or any of the scenarios uh, situations uh, over the years um, there were indications at home and when there's a problem at home schools have to realize that it's now their problem because the, as soon as that child is on their campus, the problem at home becomes their problem on campus. And if someone's not paying attention to that every day, then uh, you're leaving a hole in the uh, system, and that's when bad things can happen. I always appreciate your expertise, and I know that you, between you and your wife, you've got over 50 years' experience with the FBI, but your, your company is so unique in the things that you do. If people want to find you to inquire more about what your company does, how can they find you guys? Uh, our website is Tripwire Security Solutions, all one word. dot com. Tripwire Security Solutions. dot com, and uh, and they can call me on my cell four eight zero three two two five nine three five. Steve, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I thank you for the update. Hope you'll come back. Okay, thanks, Mike. Anytime. All right, that is Steve Hoop. That is Steve Hooper. He's just a wealth of information, and I will tell you that he is uh, someone I rely on a lot. He's just – him and his wife are just brilliant when it comes to this world, and uh, it's great to have them here in the state of Arizona. Uh, coming up in a moment, uh, Speaker McCarthy is questioned about removing Democrats from committees. Is it politics or was it prudent? We'll talk about it coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. 
Hey, thanks so much for being here. A lot of questions about the divisions in D.C. It's so funny how the mirror effect is happening. The opposite things happening in D.C. that are happening in the state of Arizona, but the same questions remain. How will the two parties work together to try to get things done, either for the people of Arizona or in D.C. for America as a whole? We have big changes here in Arizona, although the majority stayed about the same uh, with one seat in each chamber in the Arizona state legislature with control by the Republicans by one seat. We also now know we have a Democrat governor that is going to have major changes and a different vision for Arizona. By the way, as a programming note, Governor Hobbs will be in studio with Gatos and Chad today at 2.05 this afternoon. So if you want to catch the, I believe, the first interview with one of the shows as governor, she will join Gatos and Chad in studio at 2.05. Um, and so it would be a good time for you to hear some of the plans that she has for the state. But things are going to change. Well, in the House of Representatives, we have a new speaker. Kevin McCarthy is much different than Nancy Pelosi. And there are a couple of changes he's made. And one of those changes is he's getting rid of some people that he believes don't belong in positions on the Intelligence Committee and on some of the other committees. And he has removed them from those committees, and it's caused some controversy. So we're going to get to that in a moment because the question about Democrats having some kind of a voice, I want you to hear what he's talking about as far as committees, punishment, reviews, and this is what he said. The other side will get to name their members on the committee. It won't be handpicked by me and denying the Democrats their voice. So whatever transpires out of that committee is work to Republicans and Democrats as we move forward. Well, one of the things he did was he removed Eric Swalwell, Representative Swalwell, from the Intelligence Committee. And so that caused a bit of controversy. If the Democrats are allowed to choose their members on a committee, why are you removing him? And if you remember, there was a big controversy where uh, Representative Swalwell had a a romantic relationship and affair with a Chinese spy while he was a member of that committee. Uh, I believe it was while he was a member of that committee. And so this caused a big firestorm. McCarthy was pretty emphatic about why he made this change. He believes it's the right one. So I want you to hear his defense of his position of making sure that Representative Swalwell was not on that committee. If you got the briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee. And you're going to tell me other Democrats couldn't fill that slot? He cannot get a security clearance in the private sector. So would you like to give him a government clearance? You asked me questions about Santos. You asked the questions about Swalwell. Not only was he getting a clearance, he was inside an intel committee. He had more information than the majority of all the members. Did you ever raise that issue? No. Which you should have. You got to admit he makes a valid point. If if this guy had been compromised, if Eric Swalwell has been compromised, he should not be on an intelligence committee. And I also think that if it's true, and I don't know, I have no reason to doubt McCarthy saying this. If he was unable to get a security clearance as a civilian, why would you give him one as a member of Congress? That is an excellent point. It doesn't matter what party you're from. If You've committed an act, and, I, and I'm going to uh, let me turn the table since he brought up uh, Santos. If if uh, Representative McCarthy, knowing what we know about this guy Santos and the lies that he told to get elected, and then the things that he's done, and the people asking for him to resign, but we know that at the very least he's lied about some very important issues about who he is to get elected to the position of representative. That there's no doubt that he's been deceptive, and now he's being investigated uh, for some campaign spending. Um, let me ask the question very honestly. If McCarthy appointed him to the Intelligence Committee, would you be concerned? And the answer is you absolutely would be concerned if Santos was on the Intelligence Committee knowing what you know about him. Well, if Representative Swalwell 
was, and we it's been confirmed, he had an ongoing romantic relationship, what turned out to be a Chinese spy. He's been compromised. If, in fact, it's true that he couldn't get a clearance as a civilian, why would you want him on the Intelligence Committee? McCarthy goes on to talk a little bit more about uh, Representative Swalwell. You're going to tell me there's 200 other Democrats that couldn't fill that slot, but they kept him on it? The only way that they even knew it came forward is when they went to nominate him to the Intel Committee. And then the FBI came and told the leadership then, he's got a problem. And they kept him on. That jeopardized all of us. And I don't disagree with that. Now, as far as Representative Schiff, who was the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, uh, McCarthy openly said that Schiff openly lied to the American public about the now discredited Steele dossier. Um, that was a document, and I'm just reading from the story, of by former M- MI6 agent Christopher Steele, alleging that former President Trump campaign colluded with the Russians. Um, so he also polled shift from the intelligence committee and you know again is there politics involved there I don't know the answer to that but I will tell you that um, if you I was critical of those investigations because uh, specifically representative Schiff kept telling the American public that they had evidence that they never produced so either they never had it or they never produced it but it was a very overtly partisan investigation there's no doubt about it now I've been fair I talked about the audit in Arizona of the Arizona Maricopa County election as being overtly partisan as well. I made the same complaint because they they were exactly the same, just on opposite sides of the same coin. One was overtly slanted to the right, and it came in with an agenda, and it was only satisfying people on the right. And what uh, Adam Schiff did with the Intelligence Committee absolutely was a was led by the left to pacify the left, and they came up with no evidence whatsoever. So I don't have a problem with either one of these. That doesn't mean that politics doesn't play a role in things in D.C., but when you give people the ammunition, especially when it comes to Representative Swalwell, the question he asked that made really the most sense to me was, are you telling me that the Democrats couldn't have filled that role better with someone else? And the answer you have to know is absolutely. And for all of us, this is where on both sides of the political aisle, we must be demanding that we get the best. Ways and Means Committee, Intelligence Committee, Judiciary Committee, Ethics Committee, whatever they are, we want people that are going to be the best at those jobs. We deserve that. We understand that there are positions that are negotiated. We understand how that works. But we also have an expectation of excellence and results, and it's the only way that anything changes. And so I just just think that that was an interesting uh, give and take, the way he stood up to the reporters and was, you don't normally see that kind of someone being that emphatic about things, but the emphatic defense of what he did, especially with Swalwell, I thought was well-placed. I don't think it was a bad thing at all. Coming up in a moment, uh, school districts across the state of Arizona fighting staffing issues. We're going to talk education and a plan by the governor with state in-state tuition only or is it paid tuition for Dreamers? We'll talk about that coming up here in just a moment. Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time, as always, when you can hang out with us. Uh, got some information. Chandler School's working to fill staffing shortages in 2023, like other Valley districts. Teacher shortages continue. The Chandler Unified School District said they're looking to fill around 30 bus driver openings. Um, they transport about 12,000 students every day. There are 200 buses on the road back and forth from school. 
the shortage means that drivers have to do double backs and combine routes. We haven't canceled any routes, but they're looking for um, staffing issues or filling some of these staffing issues as other districts around the valley. But there's another big story here that I've I've referred to a couple of times, and I hope you'll go over to uh, KTAR.com and take a look at this story. It's written by Griselda Satino, and she's done an excellent job in researching this. Um, According to the Helios Education Foundation, 22% of students, or nearly one in five, were chronically absent in 2021, meaning they missed 18 or more school days. That's higher than the typical 12 to 14 percent were reported during pre-pandemic school years. So um, I've joked about this about my own life because my life turned out okay. You know, it it was a hard road I created for myself. Um, I got caught skipping at one time 14 days of school in a row when I was a junior in high school, going to the beach, goofing around. I told you, I just wanted to work. I didn't take school very seriously. I've told this story before. I don't recommend it. As a matter of fact, I look back, if I could go back to when I, I wouldn't change much about my life, but if I could go back and make that repair, I would go back to when I was 12 years old, when I made a decision in my own mind, that as, as rational as a 12-year-old can make, that I wanted to kind of grow up. I wanted to give up sports. I wanted to focus more on working. I got a job at 12 Um, And I started working full time almost at 15 and I gave up a lot of my childhood. Um, So that's a regret. But um, I I mean, I guess, you know, I always talk about divine intervention in my own life because God is certainly God. You know, God uh, uh, takes care of drunks and fools and I'm I'm not a drunk. And uh, so what's that leave Um, that? Uh, I had a very good education as a very young person. The basic skills to learn have always been there. I am, I've always been a very good reader from very early on in my life. I just took to it. I could read very well at a young age. I was always I was asked to read in church at third grade, and so I was I've always been a good reader. Um, But I look at what's happening with our schools and I see so many places where we're failing kids. And I look back at my life and I look back at the people that tried to intervene with me. And I look at some of the people that tried to get me back on track and I just didn't want to listen. Had I listened, I can't lay it at their feet and say had they tried harder because there were many people that tried very hard to get me back on track and I just wasn't having any of it. And there are going to be people like that. But for the kids that are out there that are chronically absent, um, whether it's you know the parents are not home enough because they're working that they can't oversee what their kids are doing, which was in many cases what was going on with me. My mom was working three jobs. But the, you, know, you talk about people that there's a reason why they say uh, kids in poorer neighborhoods are the ones that fall through the cracks. A lot of that has to do with parental supervision and the lack of it because of the need to work for parents. But that's where the community steps in many times. And I think that um, there's got to be a way for us to reach kids. Um, I look at that now and I think I wonder what it would have gotten through to me. I wonder what would have gotten through to some other kids that were like me because in the end – I was able to overcome a lot based on opportunity, no doubt about that, that there were doors open for me that I didn't ask to be opened. But I had a skill set, a basic skill set to be able to take advantage of those opportunities. My fear when I see a story like this is that there are a lot of very talented young people out there. 
you probably have them in your family, whether they're your children, extended family, your grandchildren, whatever it is, and you look at them and you think they're not taking advantage of opportunities. And that's very frustrating. But do they have the skill set, the basic skill set, that when it comes to a time in their life that they make the choice that they want to start improving and they want to go in a different direction? You know, I have friends who got married at young ages or started having children at a young age, and it was a wake-up call for them. There was a growing up process when the thought of a human life being so reliant on you and it changed them. It's when their life changed and they went from wanting a job to a career where working for the weekend and being able to go out on the weekends and that's kind of what you lived for, concerts and parties and what young people do. They had to give that up at a very young age and many of them did and they became very successful because the motivation was now a child. Whatever that motivation is for you, it was, that it wasn't what it was for me. But whatever it is that motivates you in a direction, do you now possess the skill set to chase that dream? If I wasn't able to read, I would have never excelled in my previous career as an electrician. Reading blueprints, reading code books, um, reading spec books on jobs, uh, the things that go into it, the math skills that are necessary to become a journeyman and a master electrician, all of those things I had to be able to master. And it took a basic skill set to learn the next level. And so I look at this chronic absenteeism and I think, are we giving kids the tools that even if they stumble at some point in their life, when they're ready to regain and they're ready to re-engage, do they ha- have we given them those skills or at least exhausted every effort we have in order to make that happen? That's a big concern for me. And now here's another headline. Uh, Governor Katie Hobbs proposes $40 million in taxpayer money. It says for illegal aliens to in- attend in-state uh, universities. Um, in her, she vowed this Arizona Promise Scholarship Program, which helps low-income students pay tuition and fees to attend universities while creating a promise for dreamers. So, you know, although technically I would say dreamers are in the country illegally, we understand the caveat of the dreamers. Um, if, in effect, the initiative would spend $40 million to help funnel into limited spots at state universities and colleges. An estimated 2,000 of the Dreamers would benefit from the initiative every school year. Um, Here's my issue with something like this. There are, as in was my family, there are a lot of families that are underprivileged, poor, whatever you want to call them, that could benefit from scholarship programs. The idea that we are going to set aside money for the dreamers only should be infuriating to a lot of people. We need a more comprehensive approach to education and how it helps many people. Um, there is uh, There are other avenues that people can pursue in life instead of college right away if they can't afford it. And I know that that's not a very popular thing, but it's a fact of life for many people. And to keep segregating people this way, it breeds discontent. I want the dreamers to be embraced by society. I think they deserve it. They were raised in American schools. They've been raised as Americans, except for their birth certificate. They are Americans by all accounts. But as soon as we start doing these special things for groups of people, it breeds dissension with others that can't take advantage of the same opportunities. I think it's something that we 
we really need to look at and something we need to be more comprehensive in our approach. Coming up in a moment, this is an interesting story and a big shift from a lot of things we've talked about. We've talked about the price of things and what some of the causes are. A story about the Forest Service, the U.S. Forest Service, stopping grazing on some public lands. We're going to talk about why this should be a big concern to people. Next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, if you think you have the oldest AC in the Valley, you can win a brand new high-efficiency AC with an air purifier courtesy of Day and Night Air Conditioning. Just text the word DAY to 411923 to enter right now. Don't forget, message and data rates may apply. <clears throat> interesting story. At least I find it interesting. The U.S. Forest Service has withdrawn its final environmental assessment and draft decision notice <clears throat> that would have allowed uh, for additional livestock grazing and infrastructure in the Tonto National Forest. Um, the decision came after an agency ob- received objections from environmental groups. So the plan would have authorized about up to another 1,900 uh, new head of cattle supporting infrastructure on the Hicks Peak Mountain Allotment located ecologically diverse Salt River Canyon Wilderness Area. The reason why I brought this up We talk about the cost of things, the cost of food, the necessities going up. We know the price of beef went up really, uh, went up a lot. Pork went up, bacon went through the roof, eggs are through the roof. Um, The Forest Service concluded that based on its review, the analysis presented in the original environmental assessment and supporting documentation did not clearly disclose existing conditions on the allotment. So the group says there is uh, some people that were upset about this. The American Farm Bureau said grazing on public land supports ranching in rural communities reduces wildfire risk, supports quality watersheds, and promotes sustainable rangelands, all of which is true. I want you to think about cattle grazing. Is there anything more organic than that? And the answer is there is not. But Western Watersheds believes cows do more harm than good by trampling native riparian vegetation, eroding soil, increasing the risk of flooding, and introducing toxins like E. coli into the waterways. Um, So what you have here, I've talked about this, whether it's the management of the forest or whatever it is, these environmental groups that may be well-intentioned that um, rarely know what they're talking about, in my opinion. Well-intentioned and good results are often two different things. And here we are struggling. The ranching industry, we know about the water shortage. We understand that there are ranchers and farmers in Pinal County that are not going to be able to farm or they're not going to be able to have cattle because of the water restrictions that are being imposed because of what's happening in the southwestern United States and this drought that we've had. We understand that all of these things are happening, making it harder. The cost of feed has gone through the roof. Alfalfa, hay that is fed to cattle very often. Alfalfa is very water-intensive to grow. Here you have an opportunity to graze with more heads of cattle, which would drive down the price of beef at least a little bit, would give some relief to ranchers and farmers. And here we have environmental groups talking about breeds of birds and other things that are going to be affected. And I just have to tell you, I just think that saying no sometimes to environmental groups is not the demise of our society, nor is it going to have an adverse impact on our environment. And the federal government seems like more often than not, they cave to these kinds of things. And it isn't, shouldn't be an us against them ever. Again, I will tell you, and I, I hope you'll look into this. 
the real environmentalists, the true environmentalists that are looking for thriving forest land and grazing land like this and the ones that are looking for thriving herds of wild game animals are the hunters and are the anglers here in the state of Arizona, the farmers and ranchers that have worked this land for generations. It's one of the things I fell in love with about Arizona is when you start talking to some of the ranchers around the state of Arizona, some of the real cowboys and cowgirls around Arizona that have been working this land and have the utmost respect for the land that don't want to see it destroyed. They wouldn't clear a, clear cut a forest. They wouldn't uh, have cattle grazing that would completely decimate a plot of land because they understand it's a renewable resource. And if managed properly, your cattle, your crops can go on for decades and for generations. So they have a vested interest in making sure that it's thriving. Instead, you have these other groups with scientists with pointy hats many times, the well-intentioned as they might be, that are just wrong. And right now, the way you and I are paying for it is with higher costs in the marketplace, um, whether it's eggs because of the, the bird flu. We know about what's happening there. But with beef costs and cattle costs and all of these other things that are going on, pork, and, and I just it's frustrating to me because I will tell you as sure as I'm sitting here, I fell in love with Arizona when I came here the first time in 1992, and it wasn't just being in the city of Phoenix. It was the diversity across the state. As I traveled around to rodeos and went to some of the most rural places in Arizona, I absolutely fell in love with the geography of this state and the people that love it so much, the proud generations of Arizonans that have been working this land and maintaining it for hundreds of years in their families and they're being told no by a federal bureaucracy that really has little first of all vested interest in this it's not hurting them and they're catering to organizations that have theories and not necessarily any proof of anything and I'm just telling you it is frustrating to me I can only imagine what it does to the families that work this land because they're demonized these are the people that have kept the pristine land land in Arizona pristine for generations. They have a vested interest in doing it. Why aren't we listening to people in the Farmers and Ranchers Association? Why are we not listening to the American Farm Bureau, the experts in this? They're demonized for what used to be considered organic cattle grazing. It, it just it, it's frustrating. I hope you can hear my frustration. I know it's not the end of the world. It was just one more thing I thought I'd point out. Coming up just after 11 o'clock, uh, we are going to have Pedro de Velasco. We had an interview with him earlier today. A bit of a different view than I have on the border, but opposing views are a good conversation. We'll let you hear what he had to say about the border next.